morning, everyone. Today's sermon is called Hope in the Midst of Pain, and we will be uh, studying in Matthew chapter 10. And while you're turning there, you'll notice the cover on your, uh, the picture on the cover of your bulletin. Uh, When we had the sermon evaluations, one of the concerns was when there is no clear connection between the picture and the sermon, please explain it. Well, I didn't pick it, and it makes no connection to me. J- Jason, do you have anything to say about this picture on the cover? I'll, I'll uh, discuss it with anybody else who wants to. Oh, I see. Uh huh. Oh, I see. Okay. You didn't happen to know that I had a colonoscopy this Thursday, did you? <laughs> <laughs> In Matthew chapter uh, 10, Jesus is sending his disciples out for the first time all by themselves. And um, uh, he is preparing them for what may happen during this uh, uh, um, missions trip, I guess. So there are many different kinds of pain. There's physical pain, there's social pain, there's emotional pain, and there's also spiritual pain. I've selected Matthew chapter 10 as my text because Jesus refers to each type of pain. However, I selected this passage mainly because there is no hope in the midst of pain unless there is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Christian experience is often depicted as some place that is safe, some place that is happy, some place that is peaceful, and it is all of these things. The Christian experience is all of these things not because nothing bad ever happens, but in spite of the fact that bad things happen to us. It is written, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is Philippians 4.7. It is not a reasonable peace like you would expect from an easy life. It's an unbelievable peace, an irrational peace, a stupefying peace, the kind of peace that transcends experience. The pain does not come from being a Christian. The pain comes from being a Christian in a world that hates God. We were not called to be gathered into the arms of Jesus and protected. We were called to be sent out in a dangerous, fallen world and ill-equipped to protect ourselves. Like sheep among wolves, we are vulnerable and easily preyed upon. I don't know if you knew this, but when sheep are attacked by wolves, they do not run away like elk or deer who are fleet of foot, but they... uh, gather up in this real tight ball because they're not very good runners. And um, they allow the weak and the vulnerable to be out on the edges and um, allow the wolves to take their fill. 
they allow a few to be sacrificed to save the many. It is in our passage that Jesus prepares his disciples for the pain that will come as he sends them out on their own for the first time. Jesus warns the disciples to be prepared because pain without purpose is futile. The Christian walk is not for sissies. The journey every Christian takes is one of danger. He must be willing to enter into the wolf's lair, knowing that the pain will come. If someone wants to convert to Judaism, it is traditional that there must be at least three people that try and talk them out of it before the rabbi will approve their conversion. How would it be if we did that? Perhaps we should do likewise. I don't know how many new believers classes I've been in, how many new believers classes I've actually taught, where everything is lollipops and sunshine. I think it would behoove us to be honest and prepare believers for the road that's ahead. So now let us turn to Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse number 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits so that they could cast them out and heal every kind of disease and sickness. Now these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and uh, Theodosius, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these twelve, instructing them as follows. Do not go to the Gentile regions, and do not enter any Samaritan town. Go instead to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you grow, preach this message. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, Freely you receive, freely you give. Kind of sounds like X-Men sort of stuff, huh? Not a bad gig. Do not take gold, silver, or copper in your belts. No bags for your journey or an extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker deserves his provision. Whenever you enter a town or a village, find out who is worthy there and stay with them until you leave. As you enter the house, give it, uh, give it greetings. If the house is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your message, shake the dust off your feet as you leave that house or that town. I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for the region of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Let's pause there for a minute. It's not a bad gig. Sounds like fun, going around healing people, casting out demons, having supernatural powers. But um, I'm sure they were nervous, concerned, fearful. I know, um, I'm going to confess to you, that when I was a little kid, probably third grade and younger, 
I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of dogs. I was afraid of people. I was afraid of being left alone. I was afraid of horses. I was afraid of losing. I was even afraid of winning. Tell you this funny story. When I was a little kid, my father was a police officer, and the Fraternal Order of Police had their annual picnic. And at the picnic, they had contests for the kids. And one of these contests was a foot race, a 40-yard dash. And my sister Charlotte, who thought I was fleet of foot, said, you ought to enter this race, Ronald. And she encouraged me to enter the 40-yard dash. And I did, and they explained to me exactly everything that was going on, so I was scared, but I was willing to give it a try. And the gun went off, and I took off, and I was 10 yards ahead of everybody else. And I was running like a, like a bat. And I got about 10 yards from the finish line, and there was this man at the other end. And he was hooping and hollering and jumping up and down, and it terrified me. And I turned around and ran back to the starting line. <laughs> But I was especially afraid of bees, the stinging kind, not the alphabet kind. And I tell you this because I want to tell you about my uncle's farm. My mother uh, uh, had a, uh, a brother-in-law who had a farm down in Virginia. And all of us kids from third grade on up to high school would donate two weeks of our summer to work on my uncle's farm. In exchange for that, our parents got fresh and canned vegetables, fresh and canned fruit, uh, fresh cuts of pork and beef and chicken. And so my first summer by myself was terrifying because it was just me and my aunt's family. And one day my uncle Kenny came, uh, uh, came out from the basement and he was wearing this weird, strange outfit that turned out to be a BC. And he was leaving the house, so I wanted to go with him. Um, halfway to where we were going, I asked him, where are we going, Uncle Kenny? And he says, we're going to move the beehives into the bean field. Well, I was terrified. <laughs> beehives? You mean where they live? And I was uh, afraid to go with him, but then again, I was afraid to go back because I'd have to walk halfway back to the house by myself. So I was really terrified. And my Uncle Kenny on that day told me something that began to change my life. He said to me, you know, Ronnie, that's what he called me, Ronnie, you don't have to be afraid of anything. And that day I began a journey towards overcoming me. Uh, he took me to those beehives, and he suited me up in a beekeeper suit that was seven sizes too big. And we started to move those beehives to the bean field. And I asked him, uh, you think I'm going to get stung? He said, we might. And wouldn't you know it, that one of those bees found his way into that oversized suit and stung me on the wrist. And it hurt. It was painful. But my response was totally different from what it would have been two hours before. You see, I was prepared for the pain, and I knew it had a purpose, and it was 
easier to tolerate. And that's what Jesus is about to do for the disciples. He's about to prepare them for this. Verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of people because they will hand you over to counselors and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them and the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over for trial, do not worry about how to speak or what to say. For what you should say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will hand over brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. It is painful to endure social rejection. I suppose there might be some of you out there who were super cool all the time when they were kids. Everybody loved them, and they never experienced any of this kind of pain. But I doubt it, uh, because most of us who flock to the church are looking for that kind of comfort that you can't find in the world. And I didn't enjoy any level of acceptance until I got into high school. And I became good at sports in high school because puberty kicked in and I grew big and became agile. I drove a cool car and I learned how to defend myself. But before that, I was a fat kid who wore glasses. My family did not have a lot of money in a community that was mostly rich kids. And I like to learn and most people think that's nerdy. This is a painful thing to endure. But Jesus said that there's, that this is going to happen to you as well. This is going to happen to each and every one of us as we present ourselves as Christians in the world. We're going to be rejected. So Jesus continues to instruct them and prepare them in verse 23. Whenever they persecute you in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is no greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they defame the members of the household? Do not be afraid of them, for nothing is hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing is secret that will not be made known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what is whispered to you in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both body, soul, and hell. There was no shortage of pain and discomfort for the disciples. We all know that Paul had his thorn in the flesh, that he asked the Lord three times to take away. We know that Peter spent many hours in jail. Paul was flogged, beaten, stoned, and left for dead. 
But that kind of stuff doesn't happen in the Christian world anymore, does it? Well, maybe not here in the United States. Probably the worst thing that will ever happen to you here is you get mocked. But in October, I took a missions trip overseas, and one of my stops was Morocco. And in Morocco, 2010, all the expat Christians were deported. And there was this uh, crackdown that followed on the church. And some people were just interrogated. Other people were thrown into prison. A few people got beaten up. A few people disappeared forever, never to be heard from again. When I was there in 2012, the church was decimated. In one city, the church consisted of one extended family. In many parts of the world today, being a Christian means that you're courting death. A follower of Jesus cannot expect to receive greater honor than Jesus. They called him the devil. They beat him, they mocked him, and they killed him. It will be no different for us. I remember back in my younger days when I was in college, I thought I was going to be politically active, and so I began working in a political campaign. This might even been before your time, Jason. Helen Bentley versus Clarence Long. Well, Helen Bentley uh, thought I was a tough guy and thought that I would do really well working at the precincts in Dundalk. Dundalk is a neighborhood made up of dock workers and GM employees, union guys. And um, they were tough guys, and they were definitely Clarence Long's uh, people. So I'm down there working the campaigns, and I was not welcomed. Uh, they would egg my truck as I drove by. Um, they called me all kinds of bad names. One time they took industrial glue and glued Clarence Long uh, campaign signs on my truck. I had to tear it off the windshield so I could drive up the road with these Clarence Long signs flapping in the wind. Jesus experienced pain. Therefore, it is reasonable to expect that we will experience pain as well. Verse 29. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Now Jesus is going to start encouraging his disciples because I think they might be a little downtrodden by the time they've heard all this. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Even the hairs on your heads are numbered. That's a pretty easy job for me. I don't think he took a long time to count my hairs. But for some of you, it might take a while. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable than a sparrow. Whoever then acknowledges me before people, I will acknowledge him before the Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will deny him also before my Father in heaven. Hope in the midst of pain comes from claiming these verses. Truth is far more powerful than pain. In fact, one of the things that makes a difference in the world is how uh, we as Christians handle our pain. When the world looks into the church, 
They want to see something different than what's in the world. Otherwise, what's the purpose of getting involved? I can remember when my wife was fighting cancer. On March 1st, Kathy was infused with her own with bone marrow uh, 18 years ago. We call that day one of her new life. 18 years ago, the doctors told us that Kathy had six months to live. 18 years. God had different plans for Kathy. But my Aunt Marion was watching Kathy go through that pain. And my Aunt Marion is a loving, giving person that cares deeply for other people, but she is not a believer. In fact, she's from my Jewish side of the family. However, my Aunt Marion noticed something different about Kathy, how she was handling this pain. And when there were other women that my Aunt Marion knew that were suffering through cancer, especially breast cancer, she would take that woman out to lunch, and she would take Kathy out to lunch, and she would reach out across the table and grab both of their hands and say, Now, Kathy, tell them about your Jesus. Jesus is able to make the trials seem like a privilege. And it is a privilege to serve God. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, daughter against his mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemy will be the members of his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's some deep emotional pain. Probably the most powerful pain there could ever be. Have the very people that you love reject you. probably the most difficult to overcome. And I can tell you, I have failed in this arena myself time and time again. I have loved my family more than I have loved God. I have been unwilling to sacrifice all for Jesus on a number of occasions for my family's sake. Quite frankly, I stand before you a humble and broken man because of my failure in this area. Do not make the same mistake that I have made in this area. When the Lord calls you to serve, take the opportunity. And if someone you love has the opportunity to serve, encourage them. Verse 34. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Let me repeat that verse, please. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Everyone here in this room has a cross to bear. Think about that imagery in Christ's day. That's an act of humiliation to be crucified. And he's telling everybody, take up your crucifixion and follow me. 
No one's cross is identical to another person's cross. They're all different. They're all meant to break and humble us and form us into a different person, more Christ-like, more Christ-centered. And these crosses will change. They'll look different as different challenges in your life come along. Sometimes you'll have a death in the family. Maybe you have to care for elderly parents. Raising children can be a cross to bear. Illness, disability, depression, marital difficulties, loneliness. Or many other. We can't name them all here. One of the crosses that I have to bear is physical pain. I know uh, most of you know that I've been having trouble with my vision. And last year I had eye surgery. And towards the end of that procedure, I had one of those nightmare experiences that they make horror movies out of. I woke up before the surgery was finished. And the last three or four stitches they had to do while I was wide awake and could feel everything and talk to them about how much it hurt. I told the doctor it was hurting. I wasn't, unfortunately, I was able to communicate. You know, some people come out of that anesthesia and they, they can't talk. All they can do is feel it. And he just told me, hang in there, we're almost done. The last two stitches really hurt. And ever since then, I've had pain in that eye. It's literally like an ice pick stabbed in my eye. It's there all the time. It never goes away. It never stops. And sometimes it hurts so much I can't even think. I've been given narcotics to take to relieve the pain, but that dulls my senses. I have a business to run. And occasionally I will take it so that I can get some sleep at night, but I avoid it like the plague. They've also offered to snip the nerve, but that would make that whole side of my face numb. Doesn't seem like an acceptable alternative. But I can tell you there's hope in the midst of that pain. Because every day God gives me the grace. And when I wake up in the morning and I um, wipe the sleep out of my eyes and I look at myself in the mirror, I ask the Lord, what would you have me do today? Verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cool, cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, I will, I tell you the truth, I will never, he will never lose his reward. The Christian experience is not an easy road. It is often a road full of twists and turns. Some of you may remember a, a member of our church, Dan Amitier. Um, Dan Amitier and I are pretty pretty close. I kept, I've kept in touch with him since he's left. And um, 
I went down to visit him in North Carolina uh, when he moved down there. That's where he went when he left here. Now they're in New Jersey. Um, but when I went down to visit him, Dan asked me if I wanted to go for a hike. I have learned in the past that when Dan wants to go for a hike with Ron, he really wants to talk about something. And so we went on the hike. And one of the interesting things about when Dan and I go hiking is, as you, some of you may know, Dan was a track star at Notre Dame. So when he goes on a hike, he wants to finish the trail as quickly as possible. When Ron goes on a hike, he wants to see how many things in nature he can find. So there's this, he wants to go fast, I want to slow down, look at this, look at that. <laughs> As we were going around uh, this park that he picked out, there was a lake, it was a trail around the lake, and it was a you know, serpentine kind of trail. And at one point, Dan said, look, there's the trail right over there, why don't we just cut across these woods and we'll, be, we'll cut off all these twists and turns. I'm an old man. I can't go running through the woods. Not behind Dan, anyway. He's, he's fleet of foot, that's for sure. And so I said, no, nah, no, nah, let's stay on the trail. And as we went up this trail, I found a log that I was able to tip over, and I saw a termite colony that was larger, the largest termite colony I've ever seen. We ran into this guy who was having, he was riding a bike on the trail and the chain had come off and we helped him repair it. And in repairing it, we had this conversation and we found out he was a believer. And he happened to recommend a couple of churches to Dan who was looking for a, a home church at the time. And then we also found this strange looking lizard under the leaf cover as, as we went along that I've yet to be able to identify to this day. And then when we got down to that place on the trail where we saw the Shortcut. We turned around and we found out that that was a bog down in the valley. We would have been knee-deep in mud had we gone that way. And I said to Dan, this is how the Christian life works. God does not take us the straight way. He takes us on the serpentine path because there are people to meet and things to see along the way. So we know that the Christian experience isn't easy. However, it is rewarding life. And those rewards are not all just pie in the sky. The rewards are experienced every day as we live in community, as we pour our lives into each other. You enrich me, and I hope I enrich you. We also touch our spheres of influence those people around us, at work, in the neighborhood, at the shop, at the market, at the hospital. We declare Christ in our behavior, in our words, but especially in the way that we love others. We show that love that Christ has for us by overcoming our circumstances, by taking up our cross, and following him. I'd like to close with this verse. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33. And this will be my closing prayer as well.
I'm going to start one verse back. Look, a time is coming, and this is the Lord speaking. A time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each one of you, to his own home, and I will be left alone. Yet I am not alone, because my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen. Please stand with us as we close our time together.